0: Welcome back to the present stage Conversations with Theater Writers. My name is Dan Rubens, and I'm a theater critic, composer, and an arts nonprofit leader. My guest today is Sophie Swithenbank, the playwright of Bacon, which is running at the Soho Playhouse through the International Fringe Encore Play Series until January 28th. This play series is an annual event curating productions from fringe festivals around the globe. Bacon came from the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and we talked in the episode about the trajectory of new plays in the UK versus those in the US and it's really interesting to hear about Bacon's journey from development at a couple London theatres to the Fringe Festival to a UK tour and then also this move uh, to an international collection of fringe productions. Uh, so I'm very grateful especially to Sophie Swithin-Bank for joining me on this call on uh, what was 6 a.m. her time on the west coast. Uh, So I appreciate her uh, making the early morning time to join the present stage. And just as a warning, there is some discussion on this episode about sexual violence, which is a theme and plot point in the play Uh, for those of you whom it might be a concern. And without further ado, I'm excited to share with you my conversation with Sophie Swithenbank about her play, Bacon. Sophie Swithenbank, welcome to the present stage.
1: Hello, thanks for having me.
0: I want to start by asking you about the experience of bringing your play, Bacon, to New York. Uh, Last year, I spoke with um, the playwright Dexter Flanders, who wrote a play called Foxes. Um, which moved from London to a, a similar uh, festival called Bricks Off-Broadway. Um, and that play was very specifically about the experience of Black queer men in East London. And I had a really interesting conversation with him about sort of how that translated to New York audiences. So I'd love to hear from you about what the experience has been like uh, presenting this play um, here
1: yeah so bacon is also very london based um but we we kept all of the elements of the play that are very specific to it was actually west london um where the play is set because um Darren, the artistic director at Soho Playhouse, requested um you know the play with the same company in its entirety as it is and and actually what a lot of new yorkans um are interested in is seeing. A kind of a british a british life uh, like reviewed reviewed accurately on stage so um we 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 considered making various changes to the text and also to the performance um, and we we actually chose to just keep it as close to the original as as possible and present the authentic version of the story that we that we wanted to tell um, and it's interesting because I was thinking that a lot of the jokes wouldn't land so much or a lot of the context would be lost, but in fact, the audiences were really receptive. We had some really warm responses, and often the laughter came in different places than we than we had experienced in the in our u k touring um but that was just really exciting for the actor to get used to a new rhythm of the of the piece with with the u s audience
0: Are there specific examples of moments? Um, where a laugh landed differently, or where an audience responded in a different way that felt sort of culturally <laughs> based in some sense, or
1: um yeah, i mean, <laughs> um it's what well, a very specific um example is is there's a whole kind of joke about bench ball, the sport, which is played in a lot of um British high schools um which Americans generally haven't heard of judging by your face I feel like you haven't heard of it I (laughs) know which is which is the response that we got I think so that whole bit people aren't understanding what the sport is and they're not having the nostalgic memory of having to play benchball as a teenager but the whole bit still works just because of the I think the attitude of the character being so like um authority averse um, because he's like saying, "I'm not going to play bench ball. It's not a real sport. I'm, you, know I'm. It sucks. I'm leaving." So they're kind of still finding the whole bit funny, kind of, but in response just to, like, basically without understanding the context of the yeah.
0: joke. Um, <laughs> um, I think I experienced the joke as being that they had sort of in- been forced to invent this game based on what they had available to them, which was a bench and a ball. Um, well, basically, so, yeah. Well, I mean so I think we were sort of discovering Benchball along with the first the first creators of Benchball maybe Um, so that's um,
1: true actually I think that's a good point I guess in 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 the play itself we explain what Benchball is yeah (laughs) without doing it so
0: Um, so I think that no that certainly landed for me Um, Mm -hmm. could you talk a little bit about the journey the sort of production journey of the play because I think for American listeners, sort of the trajectory that you've taken um, is perhaps not one that will, will sort of be familiar or, or sort mm-hmm. of analogous to sort of how plays develop in, in the US.
1: Yeah, um, the play has had sort of a quite long and fairly complicated history, um, which I'll just go through as like a quick potted timeline because there's various steps to it, sure. which are are probably unusual, I think, in in like, terms of like US new writing journeys to stage. Yeah. Um, I wrote the play um, on the Soho Writers Lab at Soho Theatre in London, um, which is a fantastic um, writing course. Um, it's, it's nine months. It's really heavily subsidised, so anyone can do it. Um, and on that course, the play won the Tony Craze Award, which is Soho Theatre's award for that course course. So every play on the course gets submitted to the Tony Craze Award and then one play wins that award. And winning that gave the play um a lot of visibility, which was great. And it was a real stepping stone for me as a writer. Um I got an agent off the back of that and I got a, it got optioned for TV, <laughs> which was yeah. which was very like um it was very exciting. And I and I developed it as a TV show for a long time with NBC Universal um and then um then it got programmed at Soho Theatre by David Luff um but then Covid struck struck us all (laughs) um particularly the theatre industry um pretty hard and so Soho Theatre closed obviously for the pandemic and and the piece was was just sort of I mean everyone's pieces of work were just sort of lost in time at that period of time because no one had a home for their work um and so that was a sad time during the pandemic when I thought this great commission at Soho Theatre is lost and also it was going to transfer from Soho to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and so I was sad about that the Fringe Festival that year obviously of 2020 was also cancelled as you probably know um and then i got an email from neil neil mcpherson at the finborough theatre who said have you found a home for bacon we'd love to put it on at the finborough um the finborough theatre for those that don't know is a very long standing and prestigious but absolutely tiny new writing mm-hmm. venue in sort of central west london um in chelsea and um it's where a lot of writers have kind of had their first plays on James Graham had his first play on there it's a real like um it's a real first step for lots of emerging writers so actually that was an incredibly exciting offer um and yeah and and, and the theatre matched me up with um Matthew eilif who is the director of the play um and so we met I really loved Matthew's understanding of the play and how he thought about the work and I and I having not seen any of Matthew's previous work I just um felt really good about it and we began this partnership which we're still what which we're still in today which is great um and we, we put on the show at the Finbra it did really well It it um it got extended by popular demand and we also we were nominated for five off West End awards, um, three of which we won. And it was all very, we got a lot of great reviews and it got, it was all very exciting. Um, then um, we got HFH Productions on board, um, Hannah Farley-Hills of HFH Productions, and she became our touring producer. And off the back of the success of um the Fimbra run we Hannah set up a fantastic tour um, to another London venue called Riverside Studios which is in Hammersmith um, followed by Summer Hall at Edinburgh Fringe followed by Bristol Old Vic Um, so we did that tour um, and it was it it was very exciting and and Hannah did a great job of getting the show up on its feet to travel around the country Um, in Edinburgh um Darren from the Soho Playhouse um saw bacon and um and, and really loved it and Hannah and I met with him and he said he wanted he he wanted to bring it over to the US. <laughs> So that's, sorry, that was a very, the quickest so, part of yeah. history I could from do. From the
0: Soho theatre to the Soho Playhouse. Yeah, um, <laughs>
1: that's the very, very short version. Yeah. I could have just said that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, that is a really, it's, I think it's really interesting to hear just the different ways that new plays are developed and exposed to audiences. And sort of the the touring aspect, definitely, for new plays is one that doesn't sort of happen from, new york outward um so it's cool to hear about that journey um i'd love to talk more about uh the structure of the play um you have these two characters mark and darren who are both narrators and also have these scenes together um was that always sort of the way that you imagined structuring it how did you evolve the relationship of these characters to the audience as you built it
1: well um no actually in the very original early versions of the piece of work um very early versions it was actually just a monologue and it was just mark and it was just um the cafe scene and it was a short play (laughs) so it's actually come a very very long way since then um it Basically, I started uh writing that journey of mark mark in the cafe um and well i guess um what i what I started writing about was an incident um in which which I had witnessed in a in a park near where I grew up um of this group of boys who were behaving in well it was a bullying incident really that I witnessed. And it was a humiliating kind of display of sexual power and 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 it was very it was designed to humiliate and as I watched it i thought where where have these boys learned to where have these boys even learned how to do this type of humiliation to each other um and I began to write about that um from the perspective of of the victim mark um and then, as I started exploring it, I thought well this behavior bullying never comes from nowhere and and I and I started to explore the character of the, the bully who who was Darren at the time um I say at the time because I no longer really see it as a victim bully relationship it's just that that's the seed from which it started from um it's now something that's more I think complex than that and I think they're both victims um in many ways um I then started exploring their their friendship, and and working backwards from that point, like how did they get to that point of such a such a complex act of humiliation and bullying? What's their relationship like? How how did, how how do did they interact before that time? So I started to explore. I started to work backwards, basically from the end that I had, to see how they to see how that they got to where they get to, um, and in so doing. I, I sort of started to realise that I, I was writing about quite a toxic and violent friendship that I had at school with a girl at my school that was kind of my first relationship. Um, and I was realising that I was using incidences from that time, from my own time as a teenager, in in the relationship between Mark and Darren so it started out as this thing about boys and where where are boys learning this quite sort of violent um uh kind of humiliating behavior and then it it opened out for me into just being about um teenage teenage like pain really and and and, and struggle and and love and confusion and kind of like tunnel vision of being able to only really know each other and the lives that you're living because everything else is much too far away and big. In terms of the other part of your question, which is about the structure, um, because it began as the monologue in the cafe, basically it became a, I don't really love this term because I don't really like them, but it became a memory play (laughs) where we, we have this scene in present day. And then we keep going back to their teenage years, their childhood years, and learning little bits more about them. You know, in every single one of those school scenes, we just learn a little bit more about who they are and how they interact with each other. Um, So, in fact, the structure was just kind of born of needing to know them and needing to know their pasts together.
0: Yeah. Yeah. How did you think about, I think because of the sort of um, ultimate act of violence that happens in the play, even though the characters are both so complex, and as you said, sort of victims in different ways, the audience has a different sort of ultimate relationship with each character as narrator, so how did you think about sort of um. Ne- navigating or negotiating the audience's relationship with having. Um, what what might sort of initially be perceived as like the victim and the perpetrator both sort of having a, a relationship with the audience.
1: Hmm. I think that what I wanted to do was to avoid any kind of black and white um scenario, which would be boring to me and I think to others because we all know what bullying is we all know someone is a victim I think what I wanted is um to create a character in Darren who manipulates the audience to fall fall in love with him just as much as we fall in love with Mark if indeed you fell in love with either of them you might not have done (laughs) but um uh I wanted that to be the complication of the play for us to be, although Darren is undoubtedly a perpetrator and a criminal and, and, you know, I don't want to sort of give away exact events of the play in in case there's spoilers, but he, he, he's violent in a way that is not allowed. Um, And I wanted that, I wanted the audience to be, rooting for their relationship to work out and for Darren to learn things about himself that would mean that he would be able to potentially open himself up to having a relationship or a friendship with someone like Mark. But so that wanted that to be the complication of the play and ultimately due to Darren's very poor decision-making and, and two big acts of violence that he commits on Mark, mark is actually unable at the end as much as he wants to to let darren back into his life in any way um and i wanted that always to be the ending many many things have changed in the 12 drafts of the play that i've written but that ending has never ever changed um because i think that the play the play asks us to love and forgive I think the play asks us to love both of them and the play asks Mark to, 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 to love Darren and forgive him and ultimately I think it's a more complicated journey and a more interesting one if we watch that attempt to take place and it doesn't happen.
0: And what's interesting about the structure of what you just described is that, if I'm correct, Darren doesn't really speak to us from the present day cafe scene where they're re- we're reuniting, Um, we only sort of get his narration kind of frozen in time from the memory. Um, So it's interesting that um, uh, he's, that sort of the process of forgiveness or or moving forward happens entirely through Mark's point of view then. Um, Mm -hmm. And we have to sort of reconcile with who Darren was um did you ever consider sort of having Darren have more sort of like present day narration um or was it was it always sort of Mark's story to tell from the cafe
1: um it was always Mark's story to tell from the cafe because I do always think no despite the fact that it is a dual it's kind of a dual protagonist piece um and indeed both actors one the the off West End Award for Best Performance for 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 the for the office in, in the UK, which is really unusual. That's that's an award that is designed for one person. Um so, so they were so,
0: nominated together?
1: Well they were both oh. nominated as um, individual actors, which is very unusual. And then they both won.
0: Oh wow. <laughs>
1: so it wasn't that they got one award between yeah. them. They both got um they both they both one right yeah yeah um i i in answer to to the question i for me um the yeah all the memory all all, it's it's mark's story he tells us at the beginning it's one person telling us this story which means that um yeah everything we learn of mark sorry everything we learn of Darren is from Mark's point of view um and the reason why I wanted to create a character that we could fall in love with in Darren is because Mark is in love with him so his his so he creates this person who is lovable in his mind um and I think we all do that in terms of like people our exes or people that we've left behind in our lives that we have loved we we make space for them in our memories in in a way that is much more forgiving (laughs) and and we we have this rose tinted version of them I think it's often the case I mean these are children and but this happens to adults too after it's often the case after breakups that you get so sad remembering how good the whole thing was and actually the truth is that there was really bad moments and that's why the breakup happened, but you're, you've, you've chosen not to remember them. So I think that the version of Darren that we get is the version of the, of Darren that Mark loves, but who can't be safely part of, part of Mark's life. Um, don't know if that really answers your question which is would Darren should Darren could Darren have uh more kind of like direct narration or direct address to the audience in present day I think had I done that it would have diluted what I was trying to do in the play um I think it would have created space for the audience to really kind of realize that they were being pushed on a journey of who's oh whose side am I on who am I rooting for here I wouldn't want them to be like competing in a way for my stage time my stage time my stage time because then it's like the audience is going oh god I don't know whose side I'm on here whereas I think the play makes us think that we're obviously on Mark's side because he's the underdog or he's the one that's getting um getting the most bullied essentially but we're sort of subtly getting the audience to fall, fall for Darren too. And actually, one thing that the director Matthew lived did really well is pushing that notion that that <sighs> Darren's never quite real. He's never he he is real. He is there, but he is we are only getting Mark's memories of him. Um, and that's, and that's all we ever get right until the very, very final cafe scene, which is sort of, I don't really like this term, but it's like the showdown moment in the sense that Mark is pushed and pushed and pushed and then finally has to make the decision that Darren can't, can't walk back into his life in this way. Um uh does that answer the question yeah
0: and i mean i think i was going to ask you a different question about the last line but i think okay when you great. talk about it um maybe my question has changed or my thoughts have changed a little bit the sort of the final moment where mark says it has to be someone else it can't be me um which to me resonated as sort of about forgiveness and the the that i can't be the person to let you back into the world and offer you forgiveness and redemption in some ways I feel like the audience has the opportunity to say like it could be me like me hearing your story like I will like not literally obviously but like I will I will sort of forgive you or recognize you or 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 invite the audience to wrestle with the question of would I overhearing this conversation and knowing the whole backstory, invite this person to be my friend or into my life or something like that. Um, I don't know if that resonates with sort of what your intentions were in that moment. Um, But sort of hearing you talk about your uh, development of the characters, I think, helps me sort of crystallize that final moment.
1: Well, that's um, that's a really beautiful reading and, and understanding of that ending that I love. Um, and I'm glad that that's, how, <laughs> that, that that's how it that's that's how it felt for you. Um, and definitely, that's something. Definitely, that I wanted to explore with with the play and with the ending is, yeah, giving the audience to, the chance to, to be like, yeah, I put my hand up. I I would I'd forgive you if indeed that's where an audience member felt. Their opinions stood um but the the kind of more simple um reasons for those lines and that ending is because it has to be someone else it can't be me i think mark what i wanted is for mark is saying um i love you and therefore i hope that you find someone it's because you deserve it and you're and you're great but the person can't be me so it's like that. It's like Mark Mark taking ultimate control, really, finally. Yeah. Um, by saying, "You, you're in this situation. You've never been with anyone but me," and I'm like giving you a bl- my blessing to 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 go and be with someone else. And also, in so doing, he's giving himself the blessing to go and be with someone else. I think right. because there's that bit when he says, "I can't get past this, like I haven't been with anyone else." and i think that those lines are healing mark is trying mark isn't doing an attempt at healing for both of them because he's saying um it can't be me in this relationship but it could be me in another relationship and it could be you in another relationship with someone else you know we just can we have to move on essentially yeah um but I love that, the that it opens that up to the audience. Yeah. As a, where, <laughs> where do I stand on this, on this like pie chart scale?
0: One question I want to ask you about the sort of physical layout of the script is that a lot of the play is written in columns, which I haven't really seen before in a text um, where you have Mark's lines all down the left and Darren's lines all down the right. And you often have some sort of word play where their lines are overlapping, which is really cool, um, where you might have someone saying one word and then a word that sounds like it is starting from the other character. Um, And uh, I think the sort of the staging of the play, which is on a seesaw is kind of reflected uh, in the text itself. So I'm wondering if you could talk about the rhythm of the play and then how that sort of got reflected onto the stage
1: yeah so yeah I remember the kind of the first day that I was sitting down at my laptop ages ago this is like four or five years ago now realizing that I wanted the two characters to be experiencing different things but at the same time and not in a way that a reader would have to turn a page to see the other bit of time that's happening at the same time Right, and I just remembered making this two-column chart <laughs> on <laughs> Word, <laughs> and 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 then just writing in it back and forth and back and forth in each column, and and finding for myself as a writer, and and have I really wanted? I I really w- wanted to be, to be able to see on the page both situations happening at the same time. I didn't want to have to like go to a different document or a different page. I wanted to just ha- have it all happening in my head and on, on right then in an immediate sense. I think that what I wanted is for the whole thing to feel very immediate. Um, and so then, yeah, I ended up with this this column structure for almost. It's a lot. It's a big percentage of the play. <laughs> I remember when I first sort of made that table, that column table, and split my page into. I didn't think that I would then be doing it for years
0: yeah
1: (laughs) and and struggling with reformatting columns forever right Um, which which is like it's I love I love it and it makes so much sense for my for my mind um but I need to use a better software (laughs) um it's annoying because you can't there's a great script writing software called final draft um and you can't do you can't it doesn't let you split a page into columns which is annoying um (laughs) Or if it does, if anyone knows that it yeah. does, please message me on Instagram and let me, <laughs> because I haven't discovered that. Um, uh, so that was, that was how I got to that structure. And then in terms of their words, meeting each other occasionally, the reason I wanted those two situations to be so side by side, literally and fi- figuratively, was because I wanted to highlight the fact that they're experiencing quite different versions of their year of being 14 and 15. Um, 15, I think. Um, But that they are, they're always connected because that's the feeling that I remember of being in love as a teenager is that it's, it's so intense. It's so deep because it's the first time. It's the first time that anything like that has happened. So you, so you, that person's like sort of never not in your brain. And I think at, at that time, that's just kind of what that's just what happens, really. So so it's like they are separate, even when they're separate, they're sort of connected and together, which is why I, I wanted their words to occasionally meet each other. Um, a good example is in the split scene where Darren's having sex for the first time with Blaze and Mark is smoking a joint for the first time and so they're having two very different experiences but they're both firsts you know they're both doing a first for the for for themselves <laughs> um and at the end of that scene when mark is kind of stoned and darren is sort of upset because he hasn't successfully managed to to do what he wanted to do um they have this moment of connection where they can hear each other and almost touch each other, and they 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 sort of bleed into each other's um situations, like Darren some somehow suddenly present in Mark's sort of stoned bedroom, and Mark's suddenly sort of somehow present in Darren's bedroom as well. Um, so I I wanted yeah I wanted to them to be able to feel always always connected um, in that way.
0: I think my final question for you, you mentioned having done many different drafts over the years, um, and I'm curious sort of if if there is sort of one moment that stands out to you as sort of a discovery you made in the rewriting process about Mark and Darren, or sort of how you wanted to tell the story, if there's sort of one rewrite or one, or one, change that you found throughout those drafts that kind of unlocked something big in the play for you
1: yeah that's a great question the biggest the biggest rewrite that comes to mind in that sense that I think made the made the biggest impact on the play was actually a note from David Luff at Soho Theatre where he was saying that um because he was saying that I can't really remember how he phrased it but he wanted he was asking me about the notion of Mark forgiving Darren he was saying it's so black and white can mark not at least play with the notion of forgiving darren because in an early in earlier drafts that was really not the case and i was really adamantly saying no this this is an unforgivable act and this is what the play is this play is about not forgiveness and and david was saying i think it could be a more interesting grappling at the end if if Mark could attempt forgiveness and try and get to a place of forgiveness with Darren. And so actually that was the biggest rewrite, I think, that bled into the later drafts, was Mark's time in the cafe became more about, I'm going to forgive Darren. He loves me. He's come here to see me, and I'm going to let him back into my life. Um rather than about trauma and like I can't believe this person's here this is traumatic um so that was now now in the play there is a conversation around forgiveness which I do think is some of the most affecting parts of the play because I think it's always amazing to watch someone try and do something um that they can't do Um, because that's what life often is (laughs) attempting to do stuff that doesn't work out and um, now it has it it became more complex as a result of that rewrite and I fought it at first because I I didn't like that that was the suggestion um, because I didn't feel any forgiveness in my heart or any space in myself for that discussion Um, but in fact, yeah, it, it created another layer that I'm really, really um, pleased with.
0: Yeah. And I think then, too, what makes the narration flashback memory arc powerful in the iteration that I saw this week was also that there's like real purpose in him going back for himself. And it's sort of like he is using those memories to try to answer that question or grapple with that. Um, So then that forgiveness question kind of, even if we don't know that that's maybe the question that he's asking himself is sort of embedded in sort of all of the storytelling that we're getting. Um, Cool. Um, So thank you so much for taking the time to answer my questions and and speak with me today. Um, And congratulations on the really exciting journey that Bacon's taken from Soho to Soho.
1: yeah thank you so much. much thanks so much for having me it's been lovely
0: yeah have a wonderful rest of your day yeah you too thank you so much for listening to this episode of the present stage with Sophie Swithenbank. if you liked what you heard today please follow us at the present stage on Instagram please give us a follow a review a five star rating wherever you stream podcasts please share with a friend uh, please get your tickets for bacon and please keep seeing theater. Uh, and we'll see you next time on the present stage. It will be a really exciting interview with the creators of how to dance in Ohio, Rebecca Gurmelosik and Jacobi Andora. Uh We're back to Broadway uh, next week and we'll, we're in February. Um, so I'll see you in February uh, next Friday on the present stage.